0: Welcome, cross fans, to the Utah Lax Report podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. This week's podcast features an interview with Matt Duke-Rosati, commonly known just as Duke. Uh, Duke played at Judge, then went on to play at Arizona, coached at Arizona for a little bit, coached at Utah for a little bit, and, and last uh, his last coaching gig was at Olympus. Uh, so Duke and I have been friends for a long time, and, and we talk a lot about a lot of different topics. Um, it's really good. It's really broad. I, I really hope you enjoy it. I also wanted to call out our newest podcast sponsor, GroupSpot. Uh, GroupSpot is a great little tool that helps organize teams. It's it's way better than GroupMe. It's way better than just a group text message. It's got calendars. It's got everything you need to completely organize your team. Head on over to utahlaxreport.com to click on their link to find out more about GroupSpot and the cool things that they're doing to help your team get organized here is the interview with Duke. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Duke. How are you? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You know, you're, a, you're a, a familiar face in the lacrosse community to a lot of people, and so I wanted to get you on and and get your take on some of the things that are happening in the lacrosse world today. Well, you know, the first question, though, that I ask every guest is, is when did you start playing lacrosse? Let's see here. So I'm the youngest of three
1: brothers. And my oldest brother, Patrick, started playing when he went to a high school. That's pretty famous for lacrosse. It used to be around these parts, Judge Memorial. So he started playing in ninth grade at the time I was in Fourth grade, so that's when I picked up my first lacrosse stick. He had he he got like a a piece of wood and screwed it into our garage, much to my parents' demise. And that was our goal. And then eventually, when me and my middle brother Anthony got more into it, my mom bought us a goal. But yeah, obviously, what was was brought up in the the Judge Memorial Youth League, and then went to high school there and played under Drew Searle and Dave Allen, and kind of had that upbringing.
0: Sure, and and then as we talk about Judge, you know, news coming out just you know last week that they actually didn't have enough players to to form a team this year. What does what that you know? What sort of emotions kind of you know come to you as an as an alum? It's sad, man. It hurts my heart to be honest with you. When I when I
1: took over the Olympus program in twenty sixteen, and we went and played at Judge, you know, it was. It was kind of the first time that I had exposure to the to the situation that was at hand at Judge and them not fielding a team. I mean, you think about like the original roots of like high school lacrosse in Utah. It's like Alta Judge, Waterford a little bit, Jordan. you know, I'm probably leading up off a couple of schools, but it's it's pretty crazy. And I think it's 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 not necessarily just lacrosse that's struggling at Judge. I think in general, like enrollments down. So. Um, pretty sad that a program like Judge is no longer in the mix, and they, and candidly, they, they they haven't been really in the mix for ten years.
0: Sure, and and you know, as you think about your time at Judge, you said under Drew Searle, Some people may not know who that is, so let's first start there, and then after you talk about Drew, talk about Coach Dave Allen.
1: Yeah, it, he he transferred to Judge from the East Coast. His mom lived in Utah. And so he kind of he was on what was it the nineteen ninety-seven or nineteen ninety-nine high school championship team at Judge as a player. And then he went on and played at Syracuse. And so, you know, in the in the late nineties, early two thousands, Utah was very much on an island with like Idaho that, that was, you know, near the state of Colorado, but we were just as a state not good at lacrosse at all. And Drew was kind of like this, this shining, beaming light, never wore a shirt at practice. He had a dog named Precious who had two different color eyeballs and would fetch lacrosse balls at practice. And he was a younger guy. Like he was he, at the time, he was in medical device sales. So he was like someone that, you know, young kids kind of looked up to and really got in terms of like the judge community and, and and other friends that I had that played lacrosse at other high schools kind of got us all really bought in just due to his energy and knowledge of the game. And just kind of like, it was, it was really cool to have somebody who played at Syracuse, right? You could be like, well, like what he's saying is good. Cause even if it doesn't make sense to me, he played at Syracuse. So let's try it. And so he would, he, he ended up moving to Arizona my sophomore year, I think sophomore. Yeah. Sophomore or junior year, but I, I was able to, like I say, through East meets West and and judge until I was like 16 was was had great exposure to Drew.
0: That's right. And, and he, and he uh, would come back and do this camp called East meets West. That's what you're referring to there. Uh, yeah. You know, thousands of players have gone through the East meets West for a long time. Duke, it was the only camp in town. You know, yeah. it was the only one uh, that was around or, or maybe the most popular one. You know, I'm pretty sure Drew, Drew is still selling medical devices and he still is in Arizona. So,
1: yeah, but like yeah.
0: we'll see him every, up here every once in a while. And and not only is his claim to fame playing at Syracuse, which is awesome. There was a viral video a couple years ago of him playing lacrosse on top of a mountain that he had just heli skied. He'd just been dropped off by a helicopter and he and a buddy were playing lacrosse at the top of that. And then they obviously skied down there. I don't remember where it was, but
1: he's a, he's a high energy guy, man. If you've ever had been exposed to drew, you, you, you won't forget it. And it kind of a little bit of a tangent, but, but on the same track, like the East meets West lacrosse camps that you do over the, we, we we used to do over the summer. The first time I decided to like strap up and like go to one of these camps, my mom dropped me off when I was in fifth grade. And at the, at the check-in table was this guy looked really intense. And it was Jim Beardmore. And again, I had never played like this was, I played pass with my brother in the backyard, but never like in, in a situation where I had to wear gloves and a helmet. And Jim Beardmore asks me, he's like, how do you catch a lacrosse ball? And I was like, I look at my mom, like probably had poop running down my leg. I was like, but with the stick and he just like lost his mind. And he's just like, no, you catch the ball with your feet. And so then like, I was just like, you know, I was made an example of very early on and for whatever reason, instead of running away, it got me hooked on East meets West and and went back every year um, after that. So yeah, what Drew did for the lacrosse community, just in terms of bringing like those, those coaches, rosters that he brought in for East meets West were unbelievable. I mean, Beardmore, Lauren Smith on the shooting clinics and and a bunch of others as well. um, Learned a ton from those.
0: And and those are names that we won't take a ton of time on, but definitely, you know, if you're listening and don't haven't heard those names, you should go Google them uh, to see what they're all about. Then then after Cyril, you you played for Dave Allen. Dave Allen was the coach at Judge for how many years? Twenty plus at least. Yeah. Uh, a long time. Talk about playing, you know, under Coach Allen. Yeah. He was so
1: I was a year younger than his oldest son, Stu. So my my brother Anthony played with Stu. his entire coach allen coached him throughout youth i was actually coached by a guy named dick hall in in judge youth and and drew searle would come help a little bit but coach allen like in in my opinion and i know there's like differing opinions on like who the godfather of utah lacrosse is he's on my mount rushmore probably the first the first statue that i carve out for the utah lacrosse mount rushmore um he's like uh he is a very serious coach like no BS. He wasn't like a, he wasn't like your typical player's coach or, you know, like he, he wasn't hanging out with us or anything like that. And he had this vein, he was, he's a bald guy and he had a vein that when he got super mad, his vein would pop out. And so in practice, if we were screwing around or like in a timeout, he in a game, he calls a timeout and you see the vein, you just immediately know to be quiet because you're about to get eviscerated. But he was, practices were always very, very intense. He was a defensive minded coach, which was great for me. And that's why I think he he had guys like Pat Zimmerman or Drew Searle or my senior year, Rick Cladis coached the offense. And then Coach Allen would kind of focus on the defense. And so I learned a ton from, from Coach Allen just in terms of Kind of fundamental stuff, and all the way through, like very like tactical X's and those type stuff too. So, like I said, to me, he's he's number one for for Utah across. But obviously, there's probably a bunch of opinions out there. But you know, as I kind of transitioned into coaching, I, I reflected and talked to Coach Allen a bunch and on just how he ran teams and ran practices as well.
0: Definitely, and and I think I've seen two or three coaches cry after a game and he was one of them and it goes back to what you first said where you said that he was a no bs coach you know very hard-nosed and his youngest son had broken team rules before a game and he kicked him off the team and that game that i was at was the first game that that they had played without even his own son and And so some people listening will think that's noble. Some will think it's silly, whatever, wherever you fall is fair. But, but to your point, you know, very hard nose, very, no BS, very strict, but that's also what a lot of people admired about him um, and, and what made him so successful. And he, I mean, like,
1: that's not like he cared about like our success as, as human beings, like more than what happened on the lacrosse field, like my senior year, not to get too far into the weeds, but my senior year, you know, my junior year, we were coming off losing to in the state championship with a team that was loaded with like Joe McPherson and his son, Stu, my brother, Anthony, Kyle Brennan, a lot of talent on that, that team. And then, you know, we were kind of depleted and, and we were not that, like we had a good defense, but kind of rebuilding offense. And we went to Viewmont at the, and at the time, Viewmont had a goalie ping was their goalie and the game went into triple overtime and it was five, five, maybe six, six. And we ended up losing that game. And after the game, just in the heat of the moment, I like took off my helmet and threw it down. I was, I was, I was, I was pissed. First time judge had ever lost you Bumont, like all these, all these things. And after the game, coach Allen asked me to stay after the field and told me that he was, he wasn't going to suspend me, but that I was no longer a captain because of my actions. And obviously like, that was tough for me you know and my immediate reaction was like what the heck probably probably didn't say what the heck at the time but it's a family podcast and it instead of like it, it, he I didn't know this at the time but he was unlocking in me like something that I, I hadn't discovered for myself and then in the first round of the playoffs I think that's when he gave like gave me my captainship back and, and all that stuff but yeah he was so the, the story about Brian you told there like it didn't matter who you were if you if you weren't performing up to his standards or the team standards or what we had agreed upon like you were he, he didn't take it
0: and and talk about were you a judge when it was the grass field with the trees or were you there with the turf
1: my first two years yep my first two okay. years. so freshman sophomore year grass field trees
0: so for those who don't know judge used to have this this great grass field but then there were these giant trees on the west side And it was just so unique. And like, as, as the lacrosse team, like on the bench, like that's where your bench was, was like mingled in between the trees. Yeah. And it was just, it was an incredible place uh, to play. And so then your, your last two years, were you then at playing at Granite? Is that where you played?
1: Nope. So junior year, we played at Westminster as the field was being built. And then senior year, we played one game in the new stadium and then it collapsed. So we went back to Westminster.
0: Okay. So, so for those who don't know that story either, when they built the new field, the uh, Southwest corner wasn't structurally sound and collapsed. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and then I, you know, you played at Westminster, then I think for another year or or two, they played at at, at the old Granite high school, which was vacant. It just had this random field. So kind of, kind of interesting if you think about it. Um, I think they, I think grant that ran it hosted
1: like the state championship game in like 2009 or 2010 but yeah anyways
0: it did you're right and so then after after your time at judge you're looking at colleges what what was going through your mind was lacrosse a big factor had you been recruited talk about sort of that process yeah so I I was I was lucky I had my recruitment really
1: picked up between my so I was a late bloomer didn't make varsity my fresh, I mean, I suited up like one or two games, my freshman and sophomore years, and then senior or junior and senior years started and, and had a ton of, ton of success at the high school level. But my recruitment picked up between my junior and senior years. And I had like, I don't know how many offers or letters or whatever you want to call it from, you know, D3, D2 schools in the middle of nowhere that wanted me to go play lacrosse there. And, you know, after in, in talking through with my mom and my stepdad, like it was, it was always a matter of if lacrosse was, no, I mean, we know that you're going lacrosse is your number one, but if lacrosse was no longer at this school, would you want to be there? Like if something happens and the lacrosse team is, is removed, you want to be in the middle of Arkansas playing lacrosse for a coach that you know nothing about. And so what, what I wanted to do is go to the university of Denver, and play under at the time it was Jamie Mon. And I actually had a a preferred walk on spot, but I got waitlisted at Denver, and and I didn't get into Denver until after the deadline for when you have to declare where we you're going to college, which was just kind of weird. And so I I was thinking about going to Fairfield or Sacred Heart back on the East Coast, but it was like you know a long way from home, and you know I was just a sheltered little Utah boy, and so um, <clears throat> my brother. Anthony, my middle brother, went to the University of Arizona and at the University of Arizona had had this super eclectic lacrosse coach. His name is Mickey Miles Felton. And when I went to visit my brother, just like Arizona wasn't even on my top 20. Like I didn't I, I was I was looking at like Westminster heavier than I was looking at, at Arizona. But I took off. I went with my best friend and we took off. in in, in February, snowstorm out of Salt Lake City landed in Tucson. And it was like 75 degrees. The campus was gorgeous. Talked with Mickey Miles, Coach Felton, and just came back. And I was like, my mom asked me how the visit went. And I was like, I think I want to go there. Like, it was fun. Like, the lacrosse team, MCLA is obviously like a club sport, in quotes. But it was, it was run like a varsity program and they had had some success and I just, it, it was a big school. I wanted to go to a big school coming from judge. And so decided to to go against the the scholarship and, 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 you know, lacrosse, the traditional lacrosse route and went to, to this MCLA school, University of Arizona and and best decision I've ever made to do that.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think when you talk about Mickey Mouse Felton, you use the word eclectic and I'm not even sure that that is justifying it uh for those who don't know like uh, eclectic is like saying it nicely and, and the, but like or like passively you know what i mean like he yeah. if i remember right just was always wearing like a crazy hat had this just white flowing hair yep. uh would wear like pants that were you know the left leg was red and the right leg was blue yeah uh, you know all of that different stuff and so just just a character in the desert so to speak and and that was kind of what was the allure you know for for watching these Arizona teams he
1: he, like he was Mickey was kind of like a a, a COO he always had like east coast coaches that would kind of come in and, and and run the offense and the defense and he just to go back to Mickey as kind of a character like he he would always wear all black and we played in Tucson and march april and may so it was 100 plus degrees black shirt bolo tie black jeans and like you said red and either a red and blue cowboy boot red and red cowboy boot or blue and blue cowboy boot and he you know he mentioned that he wore he wore all black because he wanted to sweat with us as we were sweating on the field so definitely some some awesome and interesting logic from 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 mickey Mouse there
0: and And what do you remember from your time there? was you know maybe a specific game or season or practice what what stands out to you as you think about your time? We had like
1: some pretty, interesting seasons like we always had my freshman year actually, Mickey was not the head coach. he was he he was still helping out with the program. There was a guy named Scott Morrison. he had come from University of Michigan. he was the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan. and we were. He, Kind of in a, a little bit of a not a rebuild. We had a ton of talent, but ended up losing in like the conference semifinals to Chapman, who was a powerhouse. We beat UCSB that year, which was cool. And then sophomore year, Mickey Miles came back and, and was a head coach and brought in an awesome coaching staff. The, I, I, I'd have to best win or best memory. We, we played at in Vegas. This is actually, this is definitely one of the best memories in, in Las Vegas. There was like the best of the West tournament. There's It's a high school tournament and they always like bookended it with college games. It was typically like UNLV, University of Utah, sometimes Westminster, Arizona, BYU would go down there sometimes. And this was my sophomore or junior year. We were playing near University of Utah. And at the time, University of Utah was coached by Craig Morris, Mike Pappas, Rick Clattis they had like Mark Manning, Danny Politica. They had a good team, a really good team. I think at the time they were maybe top 10, top 15 and we were top 20. And we, obviously I had a ton of connections on the Utah team and like very much wanted to beat them. Ended up going into double overtime and we ended up beating them in double overtime. And obviously like I was celebrating probably harder than my other Arizona t- teammates, but it was, it was a fun memory and fun to play against old friends and m- make new connections with like Cladis and, and Packers and stuff for, for, for future conversations as well.
0: And, and as you, as you played in the MCLA, you know, it was, it was a growing league, a growing time. What, what would, what would be like your, your sales pitch for the MCLA for a kid who's maybe considering what you were, you know, between an, a bigger MCLA school or, or maybe a smaller D2, D3 school? Yeah, I, I think, like, for, and, and I can only talk about, like, my personal
1: experience. And, and then as I coached at Olympus talking to, to other kids, too, like, I think it, it all depends on, like, what you want your college experience to be. At the end of the day, like, you're, you're going, you're either coming home from a mission, so you're 20 years old, or you're 18 years old. and you're probably going to be away from home for the first time in terms of an extended period of time. And so it's tough to like, no matter where you go, you're going to have a good time like making new friends and and experiencing new things. So at the end of the day, it's like, what do you want your college experience to be? There's a lot of schools, D2, D3, even some D1 schools that are just kind of like, in the middle of nowhere, don't have a football team, don't have a basketball team. And so I think a, a lot of MCLA schools do really well is like pitch, like you, you can picture yourself at the school outside of lacrosse, like a good alumni network, you can attend football games, you can attend basketball games, you have a, you're, you're, you're at a big academic institution, you know, you, you have good college that you're in, whether you're studying business or whatever you're doing. And for me personally, like that was what I wanted to do. I didn't, I I came from a small Catholic school. I didn't want to go to another small liberal, liberal arts school. That was like I say, in the middle of nowhere, And like just like we saw with COVID, like anything can happen. And so if you're in the middle of nowhere, and like, you know, funding gets cut, do you want to be there? outside of being on the lacrosse team. Like uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. For me, I, I I certainly wanted to have more than just kind of lacrosse team there. And, and I think the NCAA has done a really good job with kind of trying to up-level the perception of it. Like oftentimes in, in professional conversations, you know, I say I played lacrosse at Arizona and they're like, oh, that's a club team. And it's like kind of this takes the wind out of the sails. But like, it, it, very much like 99.9% of the MCLA division one teams operate as like virtual varsity teams. Like we had at Arizona, we had a trainer, we had practice facilities. We, you know, we traveled on planes and buses and got our, had two people to a room in, in hotel rooms. Like, you know, obviously you're paying to play. So a lot of that you're paying for, but in terms of like Having access to, we had our own weight room that, that that we did lifting in. So obviously, like you know, a true NCAA experience, you, you can't really rival that. But I think the MCLA does a really good job of kind of filling the gaps with with other other things that you get at an MCLA school, and like let's be honest, Tim, like being a division one athlete is a full-time job in and of itself. Like it's tough to, to really focus on anything outside of, of, of your sport. And I think that's, that's fair. right? like these kids are having some or part of, of tuition paid for. And so that's their focus. And so like, you know, if, if you're, if you kind of like lacrosse or you love lacrosse or you love a specific school and you have the opportunity to play lacrosse, I think it's a really good option for a lot of kids.
0: Definitely. And, and, you know, if you, t- if you think about in terms of just size, it, it's the biggest league in the country, you know, with 200 plus teams and it seems like they're adding more teams every year. I mean, Utah's a great case for that. You know, just this year alone, the Utah club has been added and then uh, SUU has added a team, you know, and, and I'm pretty yeah. sure Dixie state is on its way to add a team. And so, you know, it's a, it's this giant entity and which some may say is good or bad. Uh, <laughs> it just depends on, on who you're talking to, but, after your time in the NCAA and at Arizona, you stayed in Arizona, right? And, and coached there uh, for an additional year.
1: I did. Yeah. So I, I graduated in, in four and a half years. And then after I was done playing, I was able to to, to actually be, become the defensive coordinator. Our D coordinator had left. So my D coordinator that I played for, he was a NYIT guy. So I learned a ton under him. And then I was a D coordinator at it under with Mickey and another guy named Tim Katz who played at Sacred Heart and was at the time an MLL player for the Long Island Lizards but we had a ton of success there like that's what really made me fall in love with coaching had a good year I think same thing we lost either in the conference finals or conference semis but um really kind of refined my coaching craft and then after that I would I, I you know my mom basically gave me an ultimatum like well, there w- It wasn't even an ultimatum. She's like, "You need to move home because you know, all I was doing in Tucson was coaching and like trying to find a job, and Tucson's not exactly a bustling metropolis by any stretch of the imagination." And so, ended up, Mickey knew this that I was probably going to be there for a year, and then I moved back to Utah, and that's when <clears throat> Rick Cladis called me, and then kind of started the next phase of my coaching career.
0: And and you've known Cladis because you played for him uh, while at Judge and. And had Rick just taken over Utah, or had he been there one year? He'd been there, yeah. He'd been there as an assistant, right? And then he was uh, the head coach. And then he asked you to come help. Talk about yeah. sort of that transition. Talk about sort of what's it like coaching in the MCLA. We talked about playing, but what's it like, you know, coaching these teams?
1: It's a grind, man. It's a it's an absolute grind. Like it's, I think that the most interesting part is just kind of the recruiting aspect of it. And and this started at Arizona because you had kids coming from Southern California to the East Coast from all over. And they're coming like in, so there's kind of two, two pathways to, to playing in the MCLA. The first one is you're like, hey, I played high school ball. I'm going to the University of Arizona or going to the University of Utah or wherever you're going. And I also happen to play lacrosse. I'm going to go check it out. Right. And so you have like kids like that who aren't necessarily as invested. And then you're also competing for like kids who want to be playing lacrosse and kids who are getting division, sometimes division one, division two, division three, other MCI offers. And so you have like kind of two different things to cater to. On one hand, like, you know, if somebody comes and checks out a practice and they're, you know, from the East Coast, you want to make sure you leave a good impression on those kids and their families. From a fundraising standpoint, but on the other, on the other end of the spectrum, you have a kid that you're bringing in to come visit your program. And, you know, he's going to be your star midfielder, star tackling, star goalie. And so the recruiting thing is, is, is super interesting and something that I think no other, well, definitely no other league competes with in terms of at the NCAA level or junior college level, just because like they're going out and getting kids. And whereas the MCLA, there's kind of, like I said, there's those two. But, you know, when it's, it's a super competitive league and like, it's no different. Like every, there's a game plan for every, every game, you know, at, at the University of Arizona, we practiced at, in the evening at the University of Utah, we practiced at 6am at the time. And it was like, you know, a full-time job and on top of another full-time job, because you don't make any money or don't make enough money coaching. And so I think that's changing a little bit, but yeah, it it, it was it, an awesome experience. And like I said, taught me a ton.
0: And and what were some of your favorite games or memories from uh, when you were coaching at, at Arizona or at Utah?
1: So at Arizona, my first year, we were playing Simon, I'm sorry, we were playing GCU, not Simon Fraser, but that the, they had a stud attack and, and, and GCU, had a coach, Manny Ratkin, and a, the GCU went from being an NCAA D2 school to an MCLA school, MCLA D2 school to an MCLA D1 school in a matter of like three years. GCU is in like Phoenix for those listeners who don't know what I'm talking about. And Manny Ratkin is this, yeah, I think he's from Boston, really, really bright lacrosse mind. And, and he was an elite recruiter and, and GCU kind of had the Westminster treatment. Like, their their administration was fully behind the lacrosse program, and, like, they had things that other MCLA schools didn't. So that Manny did a really good job. Coach Rapkin did a really good job of recruiting Canadians. And um, yeah, I can't remember his name, but they had this Canadian who was averaging, like, 11 goals a game and five assists a game, just absolutely, absolutely tearing through the MCLA. And we played them – I think it was – our second to last game, third to last game towards the end of the season. because it was a conference game for us. We, we developed a defensive strategy, held, held the kid to one assist and beat them by two goals, eight to six, I think was the final score ended up being their lowest um, point total of the season. And that was just like a, you know, that's a marquee victory for, for, for our team. And like really kind of gave, gave myself a pat on the back for devising a strategy and, 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 Stopping this kid, and that's just kind of the fun playing chess with 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 coaching stuff.
0: And then after coaching in in the college ranks, um, you you eventually come to Olympus and and take over that. Talk about your time at Olympus. You know, again, what were the things that kind of stood out to you? What what were some of the things that you remember or were most proud of?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so this is, you know, Olympus is actually Olympus is one of the schools that I felt to mention in terms of like the, the original kind of conglomerate of teams a school that has had a ton of talent coming through the ranks from, you know, the early two thousands, all the way to, you know, when, when, when I was there, there's been a ton of kids coming through there, but Olympus was never like, I don't, I don't think Olympus's perception from, from other schools was ever like this lacrosse school. I think it was always just like, you know, they've, they've got, a few kids here and there, but like not a tough school and, you know, not, they're not ever going to like try to beat you up or anything like that. And at the time I had taken over for Marty Westcott was a coach before that. And I think before me and before that it was maybe Walker Bateman. And so it wasn't this, and we had, Olympus had lost a ton of kids from the Walker era to the transition from Walker to Marty, a lot of kids had, had had left and started to play other sports, rugby, baseball, anything like that. So, um, kind of, I, I didn't take over like a, a failing program or anything like that. Like I was, I was very lucky to inherit the talent that we did, but it was very much like somewhat of a changing in the guard of like, you know, building our brand of lacrosse in, in a little bit of a different way. And, we had I had a really good parent board that that supported me for hiring coaches or, or or changing things or working with the school. At the time, you know, high school lacrosse was a club sport. And so a lot of schools didn't have the support that we did from the administration in terms of practicing on the field or playing on the field. Um, so we were lucky in that regard. But, you know, I'd retired from coaching for only 2 weeks and then Scott Fisher called me from Olympus and, and said hey we're having a board meeting do you want to come talk to us about helping us find a new coach and that's that's how it was phrased and then at the end of the meeting I walked out and I was the new head coach of Olympus and I think the hardest the hardest part of coaching high school across is outside of like time commitment or you know anything like that is like finding coaches who are willing to do it for the 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 salary or 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 what's being paid and and you know you have a varsity team you have a jv team you have a freshman sophomore team and they're all very important to the success of the program right like you have a freshman sophomore team that's very developed jv team that you know you have kids that are freshman or sophomores who are potentially up-and-coming stars but not good enough for varsity yet and then of course you have varsity which is kind of the 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 limelight type team and so that that first year you know I, i i only had it was me, Nick Merrill, who's the head coach at Maryland currently, Crispin Blackett was my defensive coordinator and he, he played a judge. That's how I knew him. And, and I was just trying to think, and I don't think we didn't even have a JV coaching staff. Like it was just the three of us that were kind of splitting up duties, <clears throat> coaching the JV and then coaching varsity. And that, you know, I, I, I initially stopped coaching at the university of Utah, obviously for, because their transition to division one, but beside the point like I I, it was too much time like I had to focus on my actual job and what was paying the bills and so I ended up stopping coaching at the college level because of time and then got right back into it and I was like geez you know this is this is six out four to six hours a night on game nights just such a fun age group of, of kids right like you have kids that are 13 to, to 18 and kind of developing them developing them off of lacrosse field was was super super fun for for us and like I say we had a great great support staff at Olympus in terms of parents and the athletic administration so it was it, it was an awesome time
0: absolutely and then there's a couple things that I want to point out there first is if anyone ever says to you come help us find a new head coach it's likely going to be you I think that's a good piece of advice to take away for anyone out there listening the second is, is talking about sort of just like the time commitment and these coaches. And this is something I've thought a lot about recently. Like, how do we get people, guy, you know, guys and gals to stay in the game and coach without having to dedicate, you know, just hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Even, even now I've heard it's worse, Duke, that, you know, some of these coaches are spending hours and hours at the school yeah, fighting for their kids which obviously is noble and should be doing but like also at the same time not necessarily realistic for you know 95 percent of people out there yeah how do, we, exactly. how do we overcome this it's tough i mean like if you
1: like i i stepped away from from olympus because i just had a, a, a have an eight-month-old boy and didn't know what the time period was going to be and as it transitioned from club to Uh, sanctioned sport, like there's more, whereas before, if we wanted to book a bus or, or, or book a hotel or travel somewhere anything like that, the parent board would do that, all that admin stuff for you. Now, like your boss is the athletic director. And so you are the one that's kind of coordinating everything. And like, look, there's, there's, there's no way around it. Like there, no one's doing it for the money, Tim, but at the end of the day, people's time is worth something, hopefully. And it's, it's a time commitment. And for people who have families or other jobs, other obligations, it's really tough to commit to practice five days a week for two hours. And then, you know, games, sometimes, if you know, if you're going down to Utah County, or up to Davis County, Weber County, like, that's six hours out of your day that you have to hop on a bus with the team and take off work or anything like that. And so there's, there's, there's certain careers that allow you to be more flexible. Like I think, you know, there's, there's coaches who are real estate agents or insurance agents or um, there's others that are, that are, that are out there. But like, if you have a quote unquote typical nine to five job where, you know, you're on zoom meetings or client presentations or anything like that, And you, in order to like step away from that, you have to take PTO or anything like that. That's where it becomes like a little bit of a rub. And I think in order for, I think Utah lacrosse is trending in a very good direction. I think there's two things that are holding it back and and hopefully we'll dive into both of them. But the first one is getting enough coaches, like the coaching pool. So former players or people, people like, you know, Mike Pappas, who, who I, grew up playing under in addition to to Dave Allen but like people like that that are willing they know what they're getting themselves into and and they're willing to do it and that goes from not just like the varsity the top line coaches like the coaching pool downstream like the JV coaches the freshman sophomore coaches even like youth league coaches like love dads who are willing to coach teams but like when kids get to 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 high school, we saw this at Olympus all the time. Like the, the the number of bad habits that you're coaching out of freshman sophomore is alarming, and it's it's you can't place blame on some anything, right? Like it's a dad that's helping coach the team. It's better than having no coach, but it's just something that I think in general the lacrosse community has to figure out. And the other thing I think is that I think officiating has to get better in the state of Utah as well. And I'm not trying to sound like a curmudgeon by saying that just because I'm a former coach and, and anything like that. I think, Tim, you, you see high school games all the time. I think there's a huge gap in, in officiating as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that a lot of that would come in both of these scenarios with just obviously more people, right? Yep. And more people willing to give back or, or give to the game. You know, if you think about this, Duke, the, you, there's been high school lacrosse in Utah since 1994, Mm -hmm. And if, if just 10 people from each graduating class, not even from the same school, but just in in total if 10 people from each graduating class continued to coach or to ref, we would have hundreds of coaches and refs and that's just 10. And so in those Mm -hmm. early days, you know, maybe it is one from each team. Well, there were 58 boys teams last year. If just 10 kids, so one, 20%, if 20% of the teams just had one who coached or refed, you know, in the future, then that'll just continue to build and be exponential. And, and something you, you sort of alluding to here, but it's this generational thing, like the guys who played in that 94 season have kids now who are playing lacrosse. And so we're maybe 15, 20 years from a third generation playing, but that sort of, you know, the, the crux of it is it just takes time. And, and so as those things yeah. kind of come around, it will definitely help. But, you know, I, I, I think that you know, the time commitment's real. I'll be in in full disclosure. That's why I do this and don't coach a high school is because this doesn't take as much time as coaching a high school. And, and I think that it still makes a similar impact. It's more wide than deep, but um, you know, I'm doing great stuff. Thanks. And it's it's fun and it's rewarding and it's, it's, you know, certainly helping, I hope, you know, grow the game here in Utah. What, what are you mentioned something? And I want to just clarify, you, you said, there's times when a kid gets to high school and you have to coach bad habits out of them. What what's you know for those who maybe don't know, like what specifically is something that you're referring to? I, I've got a couple, but I want to hear what what you think. I think like it, it, and
1: this is kind of the the age that we're in too, Tim. Like you know, all these kids have TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is, like social media, and so they're exposed to like more media and, and cool stuff like behind the back passing or, you know, a a, a pro who's shooting 120 miles an hour sidearm. And so they go to the practice, you know, as a seventh grader, you think it's cool and you go to the practice field and like you, you just throw sidearm. Like I'm, I'm a, let me, let me, let me take a step back. Like the way that, that, that I coached at Olympus was like very, we're, we're huge on fundamentals and like playing lacrosse a quote unquote right way, whatever that may mean different things to, to, to different coaches. But like, I think what's lacking in, in kind of some of the youth and, and maybe even some of the, the, the younger high school teams is just like a focus on fundamentals. Like how do you scoop around? What's the proper way to scoop up a ground ball? How do you help on defense without sliding? And then if you have to slide, how do you slide and recover? Like have, what's a proper way to throw a pass? Do you throw it three quarter? Do you throw it sidearm? Or do you throw it only overhand? Like, do, can you play both righty and lefty? Like these little simple things that, and and again, like I, I can never place a fault or place blame on like a dad who's just trying to help out and do the best that he can. And something that, that we did at Olympus was like, we'd have coaches kind of go around to youth practices and help coach one of these youth practices once a week. But again, going back to the time thing, then it's it's just added time. And then we did like coaches clinics for the youth coaches, but you know, you can't be there at every practice and dads or maybe some moms that are coaching too, just want the best for their kids and for their kids' friends. And so we we saw a lot of that at, at Olympus, just like kids who didn't have, like maybe they had crazy talent, but, not a high lacrosse IQ, or, you know, maybe they could shoot it hundred miles an hour, but they couldn't pass it because they didn't know how to pass overhand or they didn't know how to pick up a ground ball or they didn't know like why ground balls were important. So just those, like, I think those super fundamental things that y- you, you need to, to get out of a kid's system early when they come into high school. And so you can kind of coach and develop them as they, they progress throughout their career.
0: And, and those are the exact things that I, that I had in mind as well. You know, it's, it's hard to teach a kid uh, how to pick up a ground ball at full speed, right? Like, so I coach a sixth grade team here locally and, and obviously a great group of kids, but you know, our, our big stud, he has to stop his feet and like literally pause and bend over to pick up the ground ball before then continue to run. And so it's these little things like you're talking about, you know, picking up a ground ball on the run. Can, can they pass? left-handed yeah. can they pass right-handed like as soon as those things are established and are quite frankly a habit yep. then you know bigger things can come along yep. and and to be clear and and I, i'm i'm going to speak for you and, and correct me if i'm wrong but there are times where a sidearm shot is the right shot yep. there's a time where a behind the back pass is the right pass mm-hmm. but those those have to come at those times knowing also that that player is capable of actually just throwing it straight up and down
1: completely. Yeah. the time and a place for everything. And and I think like you were alluding to this too, like if we have a good base, a good, a, a good foundation, then we can start to build off of that. If the foundation's only half built, then you can't build a full house. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of it too, and, and you were alluding to this a little bit, just like when I go around and, and I, I go around to, to practices still and just kind of uh, Watch and, and anything like that, and some of the youth practices, like a, a hu- I think a huge thing that that that's starting to change in a lot of high schools is just like the speed of practice. Like you go to a game, and th- these games are played super fast. Tim, you know how fast the cross is. It, it's it's very quick. Well, if you take if you go to a team, like let's take Corner Canyon for instance. You go to and watch Corner Canyon probably arguably the best team in the west and you go to one of their one of their games and you're like oh my gosh like they pay, play the game so fast and then you go to one of their practices and you see how fast they practice then it may it starts to translate whereas if you go to a game and you see like teams that walk off the field or they're not good in transition and then you go to one of their practices and it's just like this slow pace of practice and i, th- I think a lot of youth teams struggle with this too it's just like you want to teach that kid how to scoop up a ground ball, like let's do drills at full speed type, type scenarios. And so I think that's another thing that more coaches, I think, are, are starting to catch on that like the speed of practice and, and how you go through drills is, is as important as like, you know, making sure that you're, you're sprinting into the X off a face-off wing during a game. Like, I think those are equally important.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think we could go on, you know, for a while about some of these things, um what what gets you you know like you said you're going to these different practices you know you and i text back and forth about various college games what what gets you excited about the sport of lacrosse in in 2022
1: i think just like if we let's just let, let's just keep it to like the utah like just looking through the utah lens and from college high school to youth i think university of utah and coach McMinn are on an absolute Awesome track, like I don't know if you'll maybe maybe you, but I don't know if you'll find a bigger fan of Coach McMahon and what he's building at the University of Utah than me. And you know that that team is just gritty; they play tough. I think they play the right way. Obviously, they they dropped one at UMB. That win at Jacksonville was awesome to see, and they're even the opening loss versus Denver. Awesome to watch. And then I think as as you kind of go down the ranks in high school, Tim. When I played, there was like you know, Harriman wasn't even a city yet. And like, there was no the corner Canyon wasn't even built. Like there was nothing like it, it, there was no, there was some growth, but it was like very, very minimal. Now you go up and down the Wasatch front from Spanish fork to Logan and North Logan. Like there's teams all over there popping up. You, you If you just drive on I-15 and look at the high school fields, I bet like, 80, 90% of them will have lacrosse goals that are hooked up and like, that's awesome to see the growth of the game. There like from, from people in our position, like it's easy for us to nitpick and be like, Oh, we need better coaching. We need better reps. But like, if you take a st- st- step back and like, look at it from 30,000 feet, like the growth of the game here in Utah is awesome. Like there's so many kids that are playing our youth leagues are chock full of kids that are just like hungry and want to play. And like, you know, maybe they're trying out lacrosse for the first time and their dad was like a baseball guy. The kid just wants to try lacrosse and like loves it. Like we need like thousands and thousands of those because the growth of the game, like I said, in Utah is, is awesome to see And like high schools that didn't exist 10 years ago or like, like corner Canyon, like one of the best schools in in, in the West for lacrosse. And so I think the growth of the game and and Utah being put on the map is, is super exciting to see. And I don't think so, something that is going to slow down anytime soon.
0: Absolutely not. And in fact, you know, people have said that the first couple of years of sanctioning are, are pretty level or in some cases even take a step back here or there. In terms of just like talent and, or this and that, and but after that, it kind of just continues to grow exponentially. And so I think when you talk about that, you know, we're going to, there's, there's already teams in, in Southern Utah who are playing and they play in their yeah. own little league. And, you know, it's probably just a matter of time before those are added, but then you have, um, there's guys out in West Valley who are, are starting teams at like Cypress, um, yeah. Granger, You know, there's still a ton of room just even in the Salt Lake Valley for growth. But then you start expanding into like, you know, think about teams in Tooele or Stansbury or, you know, anywhere in there. You know, like when you and I played, it was up in Logan. It was it was just Logan. Yeah. And now there's now they're they're virtually their own region up there because they have so many teams, you know, similar to like your Paysons, your Maple Mountains, all of those guys as well. So it's super exciting to see that growth. Obviously, we can still continue to grow. Uh, yeah. you know, sort of, but then there's also room for all this vertical growth. You know, there's still sort of this dilemma with what do you do with these freshmen who don't make this fresh, you know, the JV team at a school that doesn't sanction a freshman soccer team. What do you do with them? You know, yeah. how do you help them? How do you keep them sort of in the game? And so there's still like sort of these aspects of growth and, and, you know, like we said earlier, I think a lot of that will just come with time. Another it's,
1: thing too, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but another thing that I, that I failed to mention is like. I don't know if there's another place in the United States. So this is obviously I'm going out on a limb here, but like you, between Provo and Logan, you have an NCAA division one team in Utah. You have a high level NCAA division two team in Westminster. You have two high level MCLA three, arguably between Utah state, BYU, UVU, MCLA teams like that all that being exposed to to that those different levels of lacrosse helps high school and high school helps youth and so it's just like this domino effect and it's such an awesome opportunity for for people in the state of utah that are into lacrosse or thinking about getting into lacrosse like our youth programs are huge our high school programs are expanding you have three great mcla teams you have a great ncaa d2 team and you have a great NCAA D1 team. So like the opportunity in Utah is like palpable. Like it's crazy that you can have that much exposure to lacrosse in that small of a, an area. Like I don't know if that happens anywhere else.
0: Certainly not in in that small of an area. You, you know, you could argue Colorado is in sort of a similar spot. You know, they've got the two Division 1 teams, but they're it's true. you know 45 apart. You know, they have a great two team in Colorado Mesa, but they're far away. You know, yeah, and then they, they traditionally had great MCLA teams in Colorado and Colorado state, but, but still those are very spread out. And so what you're yeah. talking about, you know, I live in Farmington. I can, I can be to Utah state in maybe an hour and a half. I can be to, to Provo in maybe an hour, um, you know, and so I can see all of those different teams in that and they're pretty available, you know, yep. tickets to Utah games are five bucks. If you're an adult, 12 and under are free, you know, I, I, I to be full transparency. I've never paid to get into a lacrosse game. So I'm actually not sure how much, you know, if these MCLA teams are charging, if they charge.
1: I don't think I have either to be transparent. Not sure how much it costs, but it's worth every penny.
0: Exactly. And, and the, the reality is, is that as fans of the game, we should be supporting these teams, regardless mm-hmm. of who you actually cheer for. Um, yep. You know, and, and so uh, You know, I I promised Coach Neck that I'd come to a BYU game this year, and it looks like I'm, it might actually happen tomorrow. Uh, nice. So we'll we'll see there. You know, I I owe Coach uh, Maxwell and Coach Barnhill a, a trip to UBU. You know, and it's just been it's a great time, like you're saying, to to be a fan of lacrosse in Utah. And yeah. anything else you want to mention as we uh, we wrap up here? No, I mean I, I think like
1: yeah, to 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 wrap it up. You, a look as a look from a lacrosse community standpoint, like Utah is on the right track. I think there's there's so much momentum from youth all the way up. Just like I said, and you know if 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 you're a parent listening to this, and you know you're, you're unsure if if your lacrosse is the right sport for you, I encourage you to like. Talk to people who are in your community that play lacrosse. It's a, we have a great lacrosse community across the Wasatch Front and, and even down south as well. So I'm just excited. Like I'm not, I'm not coaching anywhere this year, but I think my excitement for lacrosse, maybe because I'm not coaching, my excitement for the the game has grown tremendously. So I'm just excited.
0: Obviously, you know, we're still in the early, early part of this high school season. Corner Canyon is going to be the obvious favorite. What are some of these other teams that you've you've noticed or or know about that that stand out to you?
1: Yeah, so Corner Canyon, I think, is in a league of its own. Literally, like they're the best team by probably 15 to 20 goals in the state of Utah. I think that in 5A, though, I think that's where it's a little bit more crowded. I think Alta just beat Brighton 10 to 5 or something like that. Maybe, maybe it was more than that. And so maybe Alta is a team to look out for. Park City, obviously, is is never going to go anywhere. They're, they've got athletes. They're They're really well coached up there. And then this is going to sound biased, but I think Olympus is another team to look out for. They've offense, defense, really, they're a complete package of a team. And so I, I think it's Brighton, you know, that again, they came off a loss from Alta, but they're, I think they're going to be fine. Mountain Ridge, I think it's going to be good. So there's a lot of good teams in 5A, and that's where I think there's, a little bit more parity, obviously, than, than 6A, where Corner Canyon is just going to steamroll everybody. But tons of talent across the board. And, then, you know, if you're able to, go 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 to a game at your closest high school and just see because there's, there's going to be talent on the field.
0: And and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I, one of my favorite things that we did when I played at Highland was we would go to, like, a judge game or an East game or an Olympus game. And, and you know, there may or may not have been heckling. I don't know but it was, you know, it was fun and, and, you know, ultimately that's sort of the community that we're talking about. And that's what ties uh, us all together. And, and really, you know, Duke, that's, that's how you and I met was through lacrosse. That's how all of my guests, you know, that I've met and and become just great friends. And and really that's available to anyone to go out and and to do that. Duke, I want to thank you for coming on uh, the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yep. Thanks, Tim.